Hi there! It's SaaS and Tech Interviews by Attention, a podcast in which we're bringing entrepreneurs, founders, and like-minded people closer to you. Hi there, it's our next episode of our SaaS and Tech Interviews uh, with expert and my guest today is Robert Kaminski. Hi Rob, how are you doing? Thanks for joining. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Natalia. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So uh, Rob is a co-founder of uh, Flash PMM. He basically helps founders to find their positioning for their products. And I know that you've been consulted um, over 60 venture-backed startups to develop their positioning strategy. So obviously today uh, I would like to talk about the role of um, positioning in achieving a perfect product market fit. And we're talking about particularly early stage startups. Um, for the start, could you give a bit of a background of uh, who you are, what you're doing and what led you to develop your interest in positioning? Yeah, so I, I've been in SaaS for about 15 years. And for me, I've kind of had these tours of duty across products, been around product teams as a PM. I spent time in sales as a sales engineer yeah. uh, before really coming back and finding kind of my core footing in product marketing. And I think the getting the different perspectives of what does it look like to build from the product side and try and go to market versus working backwards from the market side and spending time with customers is essentially product marketing. And so myself and my partner, Anthony, uh, have been building Fletch, which is a positioning and messaging consultancy specifically for early stage companies. And the the way we got there uh, and, and got to our core positioning is we used to do kind of more open-ended consulting as mm -hmm. product leaders and marketing leaders, where we would drop into your company kind of like as a service for an extended period of time, which is great, but it's really expensive. Uh, and we were kind of crushing runways and working more with Series C plus uh, scale-ups and working on their second products. And we had a real appetite for working with early stage companies. And so our whole positioning, we essentially have pinpointed this really small thing that is uh, positioning and messaging. And I would say we lean pretty heavily into messaging for these early stage companies. And, mm -hmm. and I know we'll we'll get into that in detail. We see that as the expression of the positioning. And that's all we do. And so we've been doing that for about a year now. I've worked with getting close to 80 startups. And wow. the process is getting uh, even better and better. We've, we kind of open source our model for how we develop positioning and messaging. And so we're always learning, we're always bringing in new elements uh, to make it easier to understand and hopefully for others to adopt the methodology as well. Wow, wonderful, fantastic. So how do you how do you approach the task of um, identifying positioning early stage startups who are seeking for uh, product market fit? Yeah, I think the first thing, and it's interesting, even in your intro, you said like, find the perfect positioning. When you're an early stage company, we don't really believe that exists when you're when you're early it's like the perfect right. positioning it's like it because your positioning is always evolving and so there's this no like oh we got it we nailed it because uh the other thing to keep in mind is positioning is sort of the strategy decision so it's mm -hmm. like you can make the decision to be positioned but like you suddenly don't just have success you gotta like go put it in the market over and over repeatedly and so for us the way we think about it when these companies come to us is they already have a positioning hypothesis and so we're not so much as rebuilding a positioning from scratch as if we were building a new company 
we're really extracting like, hey, what have you been doing up until this point? Who are some of your current customers? And a, and a really common archetype is that they're, they've tested a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. They've built a couple different things. They've been pitching it in different ways and they've got these variety of people using their product. And so their pain isn't so much like, hey, what are the positioning options? They're just having a hard time saying, well, where do I focus? And so we, our whole methodology is really built on like, well, what are the options? Let's lay them out there and then talk about, can you do all this at once from a resource standpoint? Do you have to choose? And then if you are to take a path, how do you go about making that decision? And um, so we think of our the first step when we think about positioning in Fletch's process, yep. almost like a mirror. We pretty much hold up a mirror with our frameworks and our questions and then say, hey, here's how you're positioning today. And here's the two to five options for you when you think about tuning and really honing in your positioning. So that's kind of the starting point. Right. Interesting. Do you often have uh, situations where you you get your client back? I mean, the startups and founders going back to you after some time and they're like, OK, we are pivoting now. OK. Or or they say, OK, we're now evolving and, and, and we need to you know adjust or change or redefine the, the positioning. Do you have often those often. things? <laughs> and not only coming back, I would say they in these sessions, they're painful. Like you're sort of saying, hey, you can't do all these things at once. Yeah. And you can you can feel sort of the tension even in the room when we're pulling these things out, because most of the, the founders we work with, I and mean, these are really smart people, really hardworking people, and they know something's not working. And that takes quite a bit of self-awareness and also humility when they're looking at these pieces. And so, yes, they they pivot down the road. Very common. And they also pivot in the room. Well, we could do this. We could do this. They're jumping around. And so that's just something we have to continue to help them with. The, the other thing to remember, whether you're working with us or any other like positioning mm-hmm. expert or consultant, you as the founder own the positioning, right? We're, we're sort of just the guides going, hey, here are your options. I think there's some misaligned expectations sometimes in the market when people say, hey, you're, you're a positioning expert. Position me. And it's like, well... I'm not going to know as much about the customers you serve as you. I'm not going to know as much about the product you've created as you. And so a lot of the, the core, like 80% of it has to come from their insights and their hard work. Uh, and we're doing nothing more than providing a nice filter and a way to comb through that in a way that makes sense. I really like your comparison where you said you're just a mirror, actually. You're just like facilitating, helping and yeah, n- not really providing the position. Because they have to buy into it, right? It goes back to positioning yeah. being an everyday thing. If if I gave you a position and said, hey, you could build a nice business if you do this. If you just say, oh, okay, but then you know, Monday morning you go into your with your team and you're like, hey, we were told to do this thing. Even your if your energy level isn't into it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Like you just you won't be able to express and activate the market in a way to really support that positioning. And so that's why we built our model this way is we're not here to make any decisions for you. Like we're here to make you feel really good about the product you built and how you're thinking about taking it to market. Because uh, that energy, that founder's energy and passion behind the approach, just as important as the approach itself. All right. Got it. Got it. Do you have a real life ex- example where you help the founder and startup to define their positioning and that somehow impacted their business? Uh, we've got a lot of examples. Yeah. Um, like again, the, the other tricky thing, and we get this question a lot when people come to us is how do mm-hmm. I know we're successful in positioning? Yeah. And the issue with positioning is it's sort of this, uh, replacement for saying like, how do we get to product market fit? 
And so there's not these very clear, like, oh, we repositioned and then like next month we boom, we had fit <laughs> and we went to 20 million ARR like that. Like it, it's just never clean, right? It's a lagging indicator when we talk about positioning. And so when we think of some of the successes we've had, they've more been around a focus. And so there's a couple of companies that come to mind. There's one that was in, they're doing like an AI meeting assistant play, mm -hmm. really interesting product, but they're a group. When you think about all these meeting assistants that are out there, yeah. and this is a company, uh, I believe their name was Zox. Uh, and they have this technology that is like contextual AI. It wants to basically understand the meeting and capture notes for you in a specific context, really cool concept. However, when you, even when I explain it like that, it's like, is it for meetings like this? Like we're doing podcast interviews? Is it for sales calls similar to like what a gong does? Is it for a specific industry? And so they had all these potential applications. And when they came to us, we kind of went through like, well, who, who are you building the product for? And they had a, a few specific industries and segments. Mm -hmm. But then it was this question of like, where's the market pulling? Like, where's the biggest pain for the use case they're solving? Yep. And so long story short, what we ended up building the positioning around was a pretty, pretty vertically oriented positioning around financial advising. Right. And for them, once they took that approach, their message got so much sharper and so much more compelling. So it's no longer, hey, we can pull things out of these meetings. How cool where you're putting the pressure on like, well, when would I use that? They're saying specifically like, oh, you're a financial advisor at a company of this size. I bet you're having a hard time pulling financial details out of your advisor calls. It's like, And so they were already starting to see some of the benefits of like those people. They see it instantly. They're coming into the pipeline faster. They're converting faster. And they're, they're likely going to become their power users where they're actually moving towards fit. The last thing I'll say even within that example is that mm -hmm. the positioning is going to change over time. And so while they're seeing early success in this kind of verticalized focus approach, they probably will start thinking like, okay, once we have this working, how do we go to the next group if there is a next group? Or how do we solve the next challenge for these financial advisors? And so that's just like another thing, like when they come back to us, it's like, okay, this, work, this is working, but then what? But I think that's a pretty good example of, and this is pretty common, if you can just make a simple decision of who the product's primarily for, mm -hmm. your examples get so much more detailed, right. even to the point where prospects who aren't in that example understand you better. And so if we take this financial advisor one, mm -hmm. even though I'm saying, hey, you're a financial advisor, let's say you're a, a lawyer or a, a legal consultant they might have the very same situation where they're advising clients and they can't capture all the information. And so if they do stumble upon your message or you somehow bring them to your site and they, you say, oh, for financial advisors running calls and pulling information out of their clients, any consultant's gonna go, oh, wow, like I have that same issue. I wonder if it'll work for me. Mm -hmm. And that's where they start to drum up these additional opportunities simply by being specific, but it's pretty counterintuitive for a lot yeah. of founders. Interesting. Well, you won't believe me, but right now at this moment, our R&D R&D team they're working on AI tool that extract notes out of meetings. So let's. Uh, I'm gonna pass this information okay. definitely for my team. Thank you very much. <laughs> Amazing. That was a, a lucky example. We'll call it. Um, love to have a chat with the team and see what they're building. Exactly. Um, could you tell please what uh, what is the difference between positioning and messaging and why understanding this difference is so crucial for uh for startups and founders yeah 
positioning, I, I define positioning as the approach to a market. And mm -hmm. it's really, it boils down to a couple basic questions of who are you building for? Like, who are you going after? Who are you trying to help? And what are you doing to help them? And it's like, it's kind of just that. What is the thing? Who is it for? And like, how would someone even use it? But from a positioning standpoint, it's all strategy. So a lot of positioning work happens on a whiteboard, mm -hmm. in a mirror board. I mean, in our case, we use Figma for a lot of our workshops. The moment you move from, okay, this is our positioning, this is our approach, then you move into messaging. How do we actualize this? How do we express the positioning across mm -hmm. our marketing channels, in our sales meetings, and the way we build our product? And so messaging, even though I'm, I'm speaking of it more from a marketing lens, really moves into any of the actions you take post positioning. Because you're, you're essentially creating boundaries for yourself and for your teams of, hey, here's gonna be our point of view, here's gonna be the approach, let's act accordingly. Mm -hmm. And you can always tell when a company has bad positioning when you go across those different groups sales marketing and product yeah. and they all have different like point of views and perspectives on things and you can see this in their assets as well you could go to a website and say like, oh okay that's how marketing's thinking about it you get their sales deck like okay that's how sales is expressing the positioning <laughs> and then you look at a product roadmap and you're like oh this is how the product team's looking at where the market's moving and what they're yeah. doing today and so fundamentally positioning the strategic alignment of all those things and then messaging just the expression and mm -hmm. our stance on expression is you need to be painstakingly clear uh, and avoid uh, brand messaging just when you're a startup where we don't really believe that brand messaging works too well for companies just getting started where no one knows who you are that happens yeah. later after you have an initial they don't have a brand yet yeah yeah got it got it um so you, you've mentioned that you've been working with more, now it's more of a, like about 80 uh, startups and you've been consulting founders of those early stage startups mostly. What are common mistakes do you see they do? And uh, when it comes to positioning and uh, messaging and uh, can you give us maybe tips how those can be avoided? Yeah, absolutely. The big ones we see all the time is doing too many things for too many people. It, it probably shows up in 90 plus percent of the company. Everything for everybody. Yeah. And we used to, in the beginning, we used to be like, what are these founders thinking? Because you, you talk to them and they know what they're doing, but then they just get caught up in this hairball of too many things. And it actually wasn't until we started building out Fletch where we realized what's happening is when you when you actually have something that starts to work the issue in the market isn't like what opportunities are there it's like how do we stay focused and so we saw this early on even when we were building just this small positioning and messaging piece we'd have people come to us for can you help us with pricing can you help us with packaging uh can you help us in our content marketing and it's like hey we're, we're not even trying to do those things and so for a founder it's the same thing they build a let's go back to the meeting uh, app. It's like you build this thing that's like, hey, I just want to pull what the customer says and they're like, well, can I pull what my team does out of it? And can I can I pull what's out of it and then send it to my CRM? And like before you know it, you're building all this extra stuff mm -hmm. and you don't even realize that you've, you've tiptoed into these different use cases, these different markets. And so we see that all the time, number one. It's just doing too many things for too many people. And mm -hmm. what happens from a messaging standpoint is most of these founders early on, 
it's one-on-one -on -one contact with the people you're helping. It's so grassroots that like you're always in front of people in a scenario like this where you can tell them all the things you do. You know, we're going to spend about an hour today chatting and in a sales call, it's pretty similar, 30 minutes to an hour. But from a marketing perspective, you don't have 30 minutes to explain it all. You've, you're lucky if you have 30 seconds. Yeah. And so what, what happens is like when you have that, and I would call it like lack of positioning, when you say like, oh, we could just do all of these things. The mistake is thinking that's a position. The mistake mm -hmm. is saying, hey, we're actually a platform that does a lot of things. When I hear that, it tells me you're you're not positioning. You're basically saying, no, we can, we're not telling you what we don't do. That's a good signal to whether to know whether you're positioning or not. If you can look at something and say, that's not what we do, it tells me you've made some of those hard decisions. And so from a messaging standpoint, what it just all cascades down. Mm -hmm. If you're all things to all people, you've essentially created this huge volume of messages that are required to activate a market. Mm -hmm. And that's drastically underestimated. People think, uh, and we still see this with founders, even that are doing a pretty good job, they underestimate how many small messages are needed just to get a specific group to see your product, to under, understand if it's for them, to take the call, to close the deal, and then actually to start using it. And these are startups. Like by definition, they have limited resources. Yes. And so what happens then messaging-wise more specifically is you start to summarize. So instead of telling those very specific stories, you start to say like, well, it's kind of like a little bit of all these things together. Mm -hmm. And... The reason it happens is because to the person delivering the message, these founders and these marketing teams, it makes sense. They're like, yeah, that's that is a good way to describe all ten of these things. To your markets, to your customers, they look at it and they go, I don't know what the hell that is. They don't have any of the they don't have any of the specific details. They don't know the ten things you do and that you're making a summary. And so when we see this, this comes like even though we're addressing messaging, when we see this with these founders, and when we talk about like how do you fix it. The only real way to fix it is to make some of those hard decisions upstream. Uh, and that's if you're willing to position. If you're not willing to position, mm -hmm. the, the only way to fix it when you move into messaging is truly segmenting your marketing programs. Right. And us, we do a lot of website messaging. So it's like, hey, your homepage is now worthless since you do 10 things. What you really need are 10 homepages, 10 landing pages. We do this, we do this, we do this, we do this. Mm -hmm. Probably used by different people. And again, that becomes the trade-off piece. And what we recognize is like, oh, oh, you're saying you don't have the team to stand up and manage 10 websites, 10 sales decks, mm -hmm. 10 talk tracks, 10 content marketing programs. And it's like, okay, now we need to get our hands dirty. Oh, all coming back to positioning. So a little long-winded, but those are how those are connected um, when we think about positioning and messaging. Got it. Well, additional question from my side. If you don't want, it will not be included in a... Uh, in the final video like have have you seen our website and just from the first glance just tell me maybe one two three things that are not working they're not good they're not you know they're not so no let's let's add it in because i we love doing sessions like this i yeah. actually only glanced at your website this morning so i'm bringing i have it up in front of me now right the, what's interesting is even when i see it I see, so I mentioned before the call, I used to work, uh, Fletch actually spun out of a larger agency that was, we called ourselves a digital product studio. Mm -hmm. And I see a bit of that here. And so when I look at this, we design, build and launch digital products. I like the clarity of that. Yeah. What sort of, what sort of misses for me, and it's not a miss, right? Is I, when I come down, there's a, what can we help you with? Mm -hmm. You can help me 
seven things product discovery product design and branding web development mobile development team extension product optimization and maintenance and digital experiences mm-hmm. and then there's even see all services so i don't know if you're going to walk me through all seven i see all those and i see at least seven different markets mm-hmm. and we experienced this in the digital product studios it's really hard to find someone who's trying to do all of that at once yeah and even if they're out there the tricky thing is is those services are pretty high level where they probably are a collection of a lot of different things a lot of different sub products so even when you talk about product discovery something i've used to do a lot of that involves interviews that involves rapid prototyping and testing that involves synthesis and probably involves running workshops with the team probably some market analysis and so people who might come to you They may only have one of the four things, right? They may have a team and they're like, "Man, we have this market analysis, we don't know how to do customer interviews." Mm-hmm. And so they might come to you for product discovery, mm-hmm. but the way you're messaging at, at product discovery is if you're like doing all of it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, when I when I look at your message, I think it's going to appeal mostly to larger startups that have funding and are thinking, you know, wouldn't it be nice to outsource like a whole product team? Mm-hmm. Uh, and also maybe for digital innovation labs. And mm-hmm. we saw this quite a bit when I was at the agency is like they've got big budgets. They they admit they're like we don't have all the skills. We kind of want you to do it all. Yeah. Uh and so that was like my first impression of your site of like, "Oh my god, I've seen this site before. I've actually built this site with my other agency." Um and it's the it's impressive, but at the same time it's really hard hard to market because there is that lack of specificity. of like who would buy this and then what exactly would we be doing and yep. that's why i would bet like your onboarding and sales process is probably pretty extended and almost custom to a sense where you have to like well we'll do whatever you want we just <laughs> kind of fit loosely within these bounds my, <laughs> i guess right well, fantastic thank you for feedback i'm definitely going to share that with my team because yeah please do marketing yeah. so that's our job for sure <laughs> yeah thank you um Here I am to I'm ready to move to our rapid fire round. Let's do it. Your biggest regret. Ooh, biggest regret. Wow, it's not a professional one. I always uh you're coming out. Uh, Can be. <laughs> I was just talking to my wife about this actually. My biggest regret is not playing college soccer. I had uh, opportunities to do it and I and I was making what I thought was grown-up decisions to go all in at the time of studying engineering. Like no, I'm not going to play. I'm just going to do studies and uh I realized I missed the game, the camaraderie, the competitiveness. <laughs> and so that was one of those things I'm like, man, I wish I could go back and play and I don't get to make that decision again. Yeah. Got it. Uh word that one should never use on landing page. Ooh. This is a good one. I have a post that's half written on this words. I'm going to throw a few in there. Um there's a couple that I see that I think should just be removed from everyone's vocabulary and the first one is everyone. When I see everyone in a landing page, I know you've got issues. Well, I don't know. I know you have issues if you're a startup. Yeah. Or you've are you're a huge multi times over unicorn and you can get away by saying everything. Like mm-hmm. Airtable comes to mind. For a while they used to have build for everyone, build everything or do anything for everyone, something to that extent yeah. and like you look at it, it's a terrible, terrible. landing page. but they've solved for awareness and what they do in different ways and so they're already there and so yeah everyone anything everyone probably the two it. biggest ones yeah yeah got it thank you uh your business hero um interesting i i wouldn't say i have a business hero there's a lot of people that have influenced me in the way i'm even thinking about building fletch um 
Jason Freed and, and DAH of Basecamp have always intrigued me over the years. I find myself coming back to their blog posts and their books. I think they're super thoughtful about um, not rushing and being really mindful about who you help and being passionate about it. And that really stuck with me. And lately, the folks that I'm really studying are the solo content creators. And I'm, myself, I'm sort of coming into that space with my partner as well, Anthony Peary, is um, the idea of building a market before you build a product. I think that's so important, especially for startups, and more should do it, and nobody does. They build the product, and then they say, all right, now let's go take it to market, and it's so risky and to me it's like build the product and then just build them a product it's so less risky and it gives you this momentum to scale in different ways and so the people come back to people are like the justin welsh's um of the world and even looking at some of the big creators like mr beast on the extreme end with what he's doing with youtube um the my first million guys like just the the way they think about like i'm just going to build this audience um Dickie Bush and Nicholas Cole with what they're doing for Ship 30 for 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't call them heroes, but definitely influencers for how I'm thinking about building my own business. Got it. If you met 10-year-old Robert, what would you tell him? Yeah. Um, I've actually been thinking about this one a bit too. I had some opportunities to speak at my universities and what would I tell them? Build something. For, I think early in my career. Well, you said 10 year old or 10, 10 years, years ago? No, 10 year old Robert. 10 year old. Oh, I was 10 years ago. All right. 10 year old Robert. <laughs> All right. Well, you got the middle advice. 10 year old Robert? Yeah. Um, what The funny thing is, probably the same thing. Go build something. Like, <laughs> build something. literally, just like, yeah, like the, uh, the idea of having constraints, I think, is good for creativity. But when you're figuring out who you are and what you want to do, um, don't think about society's view of that. I think you really need to like pause and like just listen to what's pulling you in a certain direction. Uh, and like that, what that means is like interest-based learning ultimately and not like society-based learning. I think, and, and it wasn't 10-year-old me, but certainly 20-year-old me for a while was doing society-based learning. What should I learn that would make me valuable to other people? Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting exercise but I found it more valuable after I figured out what should I learn that excites me because that's something that's going to compound for me that I don't have to like come up with an energy level to meet a threshold. Mm-hmm. But when, once you have that, then you can ask the question of, okay, if this is what I'm good at and this is what I, what I think is valuable, who finds it valuable? And then we're kind of back to a personal positioning exercise. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's how I would think about that as a, a 10-year-old and then I guess a little yeah. bit as like a, maybe a, a 20, 25-year-old as well. <laughs> nice. Thank you very much. Well, that was, that was everything from my side. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. And that was Robert Kaminsky. Thanks. Thank you. This was great. I had fun.